Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello everyone, this is Dan. Uh, Just before we get started with the first episode of the Probably Honest podcast, as you'll hear when we kick things off, I say the Totally Not Addicted to Drugs podcast, which is no longer that. We thought we needed something a bit shorter when we were coming up with the initial idea Um, and we thought that name limited uh, what this show is going to be about, which is more about us looking honestly at ourselves and any guests and encouraging people to look honestly at themselves and not just about our addictive patterns and all that. So uh, without further ado, this is the Probably probably Honest podcast episode one with myself and Mark. Enjoy. Hello, this is episode one of the Totally Not Addicted to Drugs podcast. My name is Dan. My name's Mark. (laughs) I'm not going to be this intense the whole time, but I thought just to kick things off, I'd be really serious. And I don't know how clear this microphone is, so you'll probably hear all the salivary bits. Anyway, um, so yes, we're not quite sure what we're going to be doing. But Mark, over to the right of me, 
even though you can't see. Mm. Came up with an idea. Talk about the idea. Mm. Tell me. The idea for a podcast? No, the idea for this, to kick things off with this episode. Oh, right, okay. So the idea to start this episode, because we're not quite sure what format we're going to use yet, is to ask each other why we're doing this podcast or what our intention is for this podcast. Um, Shall I ask you first? I guess we could do either. So I've got like a whole bunch of random questions. Interesting. Because um, I wanted to... I wanted to prove how vulnerable we can be <laughs> <laughs> whilst also maybe opening, opening the door for people to get to know you without knowing who you are, even mm. though people may know who you and I are. Mm. I suddenly feel inadequate because I'm not sure if my questions will be creative or random enough. I guess we'll see. We'll just have to see as we go. It might it might be that our questions are really like completely opposite to each mm. other. And that in itself might lead to some interesting conversations. Yeah. Why don't you do two questions mm-hmm. and then I'll do two. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to set a limit mm. on how long it takes to get through these questions. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. So I'll go first. Yeah. Go for it. Cool. Why are you doing this podcast? Uh, okay. So one thing I really enjoy about podcasting is how uncensored and how insightful it can be towards random people I don't know's lives and how casual conversations can be about a variety of different topics. Mm. And I was doing a fun little radio show uh, for on, on you know in Bristol radio station, which was more music based, where I was interviewing DJs, mm. and uh, one the favorite thing about doing that was when suddenly out of nowhere, without me even uh, prompting them to, they would get vulnerable about some random bullshit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's horrible. Nice that you respected exactly. <laughs> some uh, st- thank you for getting more about your random bullshit. <laughs> no. <laughs> The odd, the odd chance that, that that someone would would say something quite uh, maybe meaningful about why they're doing what they're doing, making music or whatever, I'd be like, "This is great." Mm. Uh, and obviously, I speak to you on the phone a lot, and I wanted to try and merge that love for speaking to me on the phone, speaking <laughs> to you on the phone, with um, kind of creating content that somebody might enjoy listening Mm. to or benefit from and Mm. and maybe if there's somebody listening maybe either a young male like i am or young person of any gender or whatever Mm. that that might connect with what i'm saying as a 26 year old guy uh who (laughs) doesn't take drugs or drink uh, out anymore um, and if they could benefit from that from listening to you or I maybe me rambling then that might be something that is worth being tired to go to sleep after you know mm. a long day and maybe do, you know after a long day and then doing something like this getting to bed and being <laughs> like mm, 
That's rewarding. <laughs> so yes, to summarize. If I could help someone through me rambling on a microphone with you, mm-hmm. who my friend, who is my friend, and uh, and it could be beneficial to someone mm-hmm. and maybe stop them either dying or kill or damaging themselves, mm-hmm. then happy days. Mm-hmm. Does that answer the question? It does. Yeah, fully. Okay. What's your other question? Um, <clears throat> so I'm mine are very focused around you getting clean in your recovery. Cause I've heard your story before. We've obviously, we've spoken a few times and I've heard you in narcotics anonymous meetings, which we both attend. Yeah. Just blown on our anonymity, but yeah. we, both, <laughs> we both attend those meetings, which is how we know each other. And I've heard your story, but I always find it interesting to hear a bit more in depth about specific moments in people's stories. I always find like the bits that I tend to engage with the most when people are sharing their story of addiction and recovery is specific moments in that time. So I think my questions are going to mainly focus around that. So, and almost in like a chronological order. So the first question that uh, I have for you is, what was the moment that made you realise you had a problem with drugs? Okay, interesting, because I I think we've got more similar questions than you. <laughs> um, <laughs> almost identical on the first two. But uh, to answer... What was the moment that I realized I was addicted to drugs? I've written I have a problem. I had a problem with drugs. Yeah, because I think ad- admission of addiction is a slightly different thing, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I don't want to lead your answer, so. <laughs> okay. Straight in there. Mm. Um, so anyone listening has now worked out, and if they know me, they've now come to the realization that at one point in my life, I was addicted or had a pr- drug problem. Mm. So all the bets are off that people are like, who's this mysterious guy? Because <laughs> I know I'm so, I'm so reserved, you know. I never tell anyone anything about me. I'm not constantly opening my mouth to strangers telling them my deepest <laughs> and darkest secrets. Um, I think it's like such a... There's so many like waves of memories that come back. Mm. And a lot of the a lot of um my teenage years were like my main you know if i'm going to identify as as someone who who had a problem with drugs the mm-hmm. teenage years of my using were the most significant for me definitely and then anything after that is just a, a product of that trying to resolve and i think um I, when I got, (laughs) so I I got arrested when I was um, maybe 16 years old for, uh, what was I doing? I, it was, I was shoplifting from a Wilkinson's, which is like high class, because you hear people that are like robbing jewellery shops and, mm. and all sorts. Yeah, and yeah. Proper oh, I, knew, I knew you were a high-class criminal, don't worry. Yeah, but Wilkinson's is like, you know, you got to have some balls <laughs> to do that. <laughs> uh, and that was such a, oh, that was such a, such a bollocks evening. It's just another, so I, yeah, I used to like hang out with basically just a bunch of like wannabe, not wannabe, no, they, they were, I was a wannabe. 
wanting to be like rejects from society, mm. uh, metalheads, seeing kids, emo, skaters. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was all of them, but not really. I just wanted to fit in. So I wasn't really, I didn't feel like I was authentic. But one of the things that came along with that was people shoplifting to sell stuff in CEX to go and try and get money to pick up. Uh, and that was like a regular weekly thing where it's mm. like, we meet up, right? Who wants to go here? Blah, blah, blah. So we went to Wilkinson's. Uh, I tried to get like as many games up my jacket and it wasn't really well done. I just shoved them like up my armpits mm. and then just like penguin marched out the shop. But an, a friend of mine, friend, I don't know, had gone in and left already, had managed to get away with it. But he, this is annoying, but he saw the security were waiting outside the shop, didn't think to call us. Yeah. So as soon as I walked out, I got like slammed against the window. Um, Got right anyway to kind of speed the story along. Got arrested. I think my sister. I, I I had to pick a guardian of some kind, so I picked up. I called my sister. Mm. Didn't tell my mum and dad. Shrewd, yeah. Well yeah. <laughs> I'd have done the same. I'd have picked yeah. one of my siblings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like they got my back. Yeah, yeah. Except yeah. my sister isn't like she. She want you know she's sensible. Yeah. Uh, she came and picked me up, and I was sat in a p- police cell. And she was like, uh, she was like, you need to tell me everything, what's going on, you know, you need to tell me why you're here. Um, Oh, I've got the stories mixed up. This was a different time. But anyway, this, this monumental moment was that I was in a police cell. I was in bits crying off my head. She just sat there and she was like, I want you to tell me every single thing that you're taking. So I just sat there and listed all these things that I had taken. She was like, that is not normal. Mm. Um, And she really tried to drill that into me that it was not normal. Uh, And I kind of established then that I might have a problem with drugs, Mm. but it didn't really sink in. I had a problem with drugs. I didn't think I was an addict. I thought that maybe I was doing more drugs than most people my age were doing yeah so it's really hard to pinpoint that exact moment of i have a problem Mm. um really yeah it's a tricky question because it's difficult to pinpoint because i think we tend to think in linear narratives Mm -hmm. and it's very difficult but and that's not the reality of the situation like there was probably a load of different moments that unfolded but Mm. i was just kind of i was curious as to when was there a kind of a, a moment where it just kind of twigged for you where you're like, I, I, I use drugs differently from other people or, or different. But I, yeah, I can't speak for other people's experience, but like, yeah. Then a recreational drug user, I just did air quotes and that's pointless doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but a recreational user. Yeah. Was there a point when I was like, this isn't, this is more than just someone dabbling. Mm. Uh, Cause to be honest at that time, I thought that I was just, growing up and everyone did that kind of thing mm. um i think the oh, yeah it's really hard to remember mm. there was a moment in time when i had i'd had enough 
and was fed up of what was happening. Mm. But I can't remember what it was that I was doing mm. um, because there was a teen, there was like a jump from being a teenager mm. and suddenly stopping and just becoming a supposed alcoholic mm. because drinking was normal. And I'm trying to remember that point mm. because I'd had little phases, as everyone does, of picking up one thing and putting down another thing. Mm. But I can't remember what that moment was. I know what it was later on when I decided to come into recovery. Yeah. Um, because um, because I had someone had taken me to a meeting and then everything from there was different. I couldn't use after I'd been to a meeting. Yeah. Because it was using, it yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. me getting wrecked. Yeah. Um, so maybe I. What if? What if I return a question to you, mm-hmm. and I will think about if listening to you, I might start to connect and hear a memory. Yeah. Hear a memory pop up. Yeah. That's possible. Mm. Yeah. Okay. What was your What was your eureka moment? Um, <clears throat> eureka moments are funny, funny way to describe it, but like weirdly it's, it's quite similar to yours in a sense. Cause like the, the similarity I picked out of your one was with your sister mm-hmm. who are telling you this isn't normal. Yeah. Um, and I, I was, I don't know about you, but I always had suspicions that I had a problem. I always yeah. had like, uh, but with suspicions, but without the admission that I had a problem. Because I, I knew that I was willing to do things. Like I knew, like in university, when I was first started using cocaine, I knew that I was willing to spend all the money I had on cocaine when I was using it. So I was, I was aware that I would, at the expense of food, items, uh, things for basic living, I knew that I would prioritize buying drugs and that, which I kind, which I kind of twigged was not normal behavior, but also no one everyone was fucking up with their money at uni so it did i didn't feel that unusual or weird um so i think but i think the first time where i properly thought oh fuck this is this is a problem that i will have to address sooner or later i went to visit my friends in london and uh friends from university and i hadn't seen them in about two years and uh, they were my dearest dearest friends in university um these two guys who i won't name uh but they were they were really really close friends of mine. Went to London. Um, I was meant to go up on the Friday. Uh, I end and I needed to take drugs with me. Like I had to have coke. I had to have cocaine to take with me. Um, so I picked up. Uh, I picked up three or four grams of cocaine on the Thursday, um, and I was like, "That's more than I'll need for the weekend. That's fine." So and then I had the the idea of uh, maybe I'll use some tonight. And then I ended up using all the cocaine on the Thursday night, um, rolled into work the following day without any sleep, absolutely fucked, messaged one of my friends and said, oh, I can't come up tonight um, uh, because, and I made something up about work. Um, and they're like, oh, that's really sad because we'd, we'd organized this meal with a few people you know. And I was like, oh, fuck. Um, ended up going up on the Saturday, uh, turned up fucked, um, had no drugs because I'd obviously used them all on the Thursday. And uh, we went out in, you know, we watched, I think we were watching rugby or something like that. We went out in Camden and within about an hour, I'd, I ditched them to go find drugs and literally just, just left them in the middle of Camden. Um, and they were ringing me and I was ignoring them. And then I found this homeless couple and I ended up spending the night with this homeless couple, basically smoking crack. And 
and and this 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 wasn't the moment where I thought I had a problem. Yeah, <laughs> I I was like, this is mad, but I, I didn't go. Oh my god, I must have a really bad problem. Um, the the moment where I thought that the that moment came the following day, um, because I kind of I reemerged at about six o'clock in the morning at my one of my friend's flats, and uh, and he was kind of obviously a bit aggrieved, but just relieved I was there. And then I slept for a bit and then uh, left London in the morning and came back to Bristol. And my friend, my other friend messaged me in the evening when I arrived back in Bristol. And he, he was like initially concerned. He was like, what happened to you yesterday? He was like, you know, you, you disappeared. Like when you weren't answering your phone, what happened? And I, I gave him an approximation of the truth. Um, I said, I had met some people and gone back to a house party and used drugs, which which wasn't even close to the me literally sitting on stairwell smoking crack with two with a homeless couple. That yeah. was like what well, that was reality. I ju- I just gave him the approximate like kind of a version of that, um, and he's and he messaged me back and it fucking wounded me. He said um, he's like it's pretty telling that we haven't seen you in two years and within an hour of coming to see us, you leave us for some strangers to do drugs do you think you have a problem? And I was just like, oh, fuck. That is like, you know, when someone just says like the bare bones of what you've done. And I was like, fuck, he is right to have a problem. And I just kind of, and I I blew it off. I just kind of apologized and said, oh, I'm really sorry, mate. Yeah. You know, yeah, I don't know. Which is one of those mad things. Um, But I think that was the first time anyone had actually said to me, do you, you know, do you think you have a problem? Do you have a problem? Yeah. Asked you. Yeah. Because no, because everyone kind of just treated it more as a joke that I was kind of like, you know, turning up to work fucked and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Everyone thought that was kind of, you so know, that you was do. just part of my character, but he was the first person to say, do you think you have a problem? Yeah. Cause, cause that still thinking about, there's so many stories that kind mm. of come, come waving over whilst listening to you. Mm. But that 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 moment with my sister, the fact that someone's asked, telling me, much like they did for you, saying <laughs> that's not normal, yeah. or you have, you know, that calling it out, yeah, because people are way too polite. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, They're afraid of upsetting you, particularly yeah. if they love you. Yeah, like my my, I don't can't think of a single time my parents said to me, "Do you think you have a problem?" It was just assumed that I had a problem mm. and was kind of glossed over almost. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it is when someone actually says it to you, and if they, you know, if you lay out the, like saying it now, obviously it sounds mad to say I left my very very good friends to go smoke crack with strangers in yeah. the middle of Camden and didn't tell them where I was going and I was basically missing for about twelve hours. Yeah, you know that's that's mad. But at the time, I didn't think that was. I didn't look at it objectively enough to go, "That's crazy. That's mad behavior." There's there's so many bizarre stories as well. Mm that I can connect to with that. And if I say it to someone, they're like, that's mental. Mm. But because, because I'm still the person, my ego is still in that memory. It's still justified in my head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember, uh, what happened? It was like a birthday and I was in Brick Lane in Shoreditch Mm. and it was, it was my birthday and I was like, your birthday. Yeah. (laughs) And everyone was having a a good time. We'd been out and then we're, we're heading off to go go our separate ways and go home, basically. And a guy walked past me and was like, oh, do you want any Coke? And obviously, 
going to be rubbish because he's just man in the street man in the street yeah yeah but i was like i'm gonna head off with this guy yeah, yeah. and everyone was like so i remember someone tripped me over one of my mates tripped me over to because i was stumbling around and being a knob because i was like well, why not you let me go off with this guy yeah, yeah. um and, you know get high with him or whatever people are constantly doing that because i'd be i'd be always i'd be like waiting for a, a get out to go and get yeah, messed yeah, yeah. up when i went to uni that was all the time as soon as i like knew someone who was like willing to go and wanted to go pick up or get high i'd be like you know i try and mm. scheme yeah um const- yeah you know i remember i remember i used to go out in 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 uh, a, a weird kind of alternative venue in bath mm. kind of the only place that seemed to have i don't know not just pop music playing there and uh towards the end of that kind of my time at uni anytime one or two specific people turned up it was it's time for me to leave because i'm going to go pick up mm. uh, and it doesn't matter what happens it doesn't even matter if i was playing i'd be like i gotta go sorry <laughs> just go and get whatever whatever's available really mm. because i knew that they used the way i used and that was we're gonna go get through several bags and then i'm gonna go home with an additional bag and it's mm. gonna continue that way um which just isn't normal. Mm. Um, and it's very hard to establish exactly when the behaviors started to be like, there's nothing, mm. there's nothing okay. But the, tell you what, the, the, the moment that I started to get pissed off with what I was doing mm. and then being like, why can't I be normal? Mm. And it switched from, I, it still didn't establish that I had a problem because mm. it didn't connect the dots but it was that I wasn't normal and was, I used to wake up regularly from a night out in London. I'd get on the train and wake up in really bizarre spots all around London. Mm. Like I woke up in, 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 uh, gold is green, which is the other side of London from where I was. Mm. I don't know how I got from Kingston mm. to Southwest to Northwest. London location is getting a great shout out on the podcast so far. Shout out to Golders Green and <laughs> Kingston, if you're listening. Um, yeah, woke up regularly in like Covent Garden. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe like Blackout took me to childhood memories because yeah, we went yeah, to yeah. Covent Garden a lot as a kid. And I used to just know how to get back off by heart at like 3am kind of. And it was that happened so regular that I'd be like, for fuck's sake, not again. And uh, that was when I realized that my drinking wasn't normal. Mm. Um, Like I thought that I'd kind of moved, you know, bored of drugs now. But Mm. the drinking definitely was the, 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 my relationship with alcohol was that way for me to see that whatever's happening with me isn't normal compared Mm. to what other people are doing. No one else got kicked out by bouncers and shouted at the bouncer. Mm. I'm not a brave guy. The bouncer could probably snap my neck with a, you know, and I was just ha- happy to shout him off. And mm. sh- I don't know. That happened like regularly. Though. I'd wake up in strange places, get barred from barred from pubs and clubs, and uh, and I, you know, wake up the next day and be so ashamed of myself that I just wake up and drink again. Mm. And that was definitely very telling. Mm when my dad would get pissed off because I drank his whiskey. Mm. Um, but it's good whiskey. So, um, I feel like we've gone way beyond asking you what your intention of this podcast <laughs> is. Um, 
But I do want to know from you, Mark, in the other chair, mm. what was life like at home growing up? Because... Oh, interesting. Because yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say how I see... You're a very well-presented man. Mm. You seem um, like you've got, not to rub your ego, but a level of... Uh, like intelligent awareness that doesn't strike me that, that I'm, I've, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> really? Yeah. I thought I've, I thought I've shared about this in meetings that maybe, maybe I haven't, and or at least not in ones you've been in. Maybe. Um, what was life like in my childhood home? Was that what the question was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, very problematic. Very problematic. Um, I'm, I'm fairly confident my parents won't listen to this podcast. So I'll just go all in. Uh, my parents had a very difficult, uh, difficult few years of their marriage. My parents are still together. They've been married for 41 years, I think. And around about, probably between the ages of 8 and 8, 12, 13, something like there's maybe like a four or five year period in my childhood where my parents' marriage was horrendous. And like horrendous, horrendous, like fights every night. Um, sometimes violent, sometimes not. It's not all the time violent. It would be a gross exaggeration to say that, but occasionally it was violent. Um, my mother has always had her problems with alcohol. Um, and it's not for me to say whether she's an addict or not. That's for her to decide. But, um, so my, you know, my, my early kind of childhood from maybe like one to eight was actually really happy. I was very kind of peaceful did lots of sport, very, very engaged. And then around about yeah seven or eight, it became very chaotic and I started to dread being at home. And I think that that part of my childhood kind of solidified um, my desire to, to kind of control um, my surroundings by adapting, changing the person that I was. Um, to fit certain situations, mm-hmm. I think I became very skilled at that because my, you know, my parents' difficulties were not discussed at all. There was there was never a conversation um, where anybody said it wasn't normal for a, a husband or wife to fight um, on an almost nightly basis. Like no, there was never. No one ever sat me down. My dad never sat me down and said, or my mum, and said this isn't normal. The, the first time it was ever acknowledged was when I was about 16 or, yeah, 16 and I'd been put into therapy because I was bulimic. And, um, and my, my dad asked me after one of the therapy sessions, do you talk about what your mother and I were like when you were growing up? And I was like, mm, yeah, kind of. He was like, he was, and he said it because it seemed to affect you the most. So I used to, I, my, it's interesting because I'm one of five. Yeah. Um, we all seemed to react in different ways to my parents' difficulties. I, well, I say we all react in different ways. My my younger siblings were young at the time, so I don't think they really understood what was going on. Um, my older brother just did not engage with it at all. Like, just, It was almost like it wasn't happening for him. It was just completely not acknowledged. Um, whereas I was involved, I would get involved in the arguments. In the arguments. Right? Yeah, I would try and voluntarily be in the middle um sometimes but okay. again not all the time sometimes i would just my other reaction would to be 
go to as far away from the argument as possible. I hated hearing them fighting. So I would go up to my room, cover my ears and, and kind of block it out that it was happening. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of either side of that. So that, and that is sadly my overriding memory of my childhood. And then suddenly, and I've never asked my parents what happened. Um, really, really suddenly it just stopped. Like when I was about 12 or 13, I don't know whether they went through, I, th- I think they did go through couples therapy at one point. Mm. Um, but it genuinely just came to a halt and they, I couldn't tell you a time where they fought for the next five, six or seven years. I think while I was, well, after I moved to Bristol, according to my brother, they had another bad period again. Um, but fuck me, they've married for 40 odd years. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're going to have bad periods, but, um, yeah, that was, that's my overriding memory of my, my kind of childhood. And so there's arguments, people, you seeming to be the most affected by whatever was happening didn't realize yeah yeah didn't realize what was happening was happening yeah 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 um and i guess i completely relate to the fact that whatever you feel like is is your home environment is the norm yeah 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 um like my home environment is was uh yeah is what I consider to be the normal may not be considered the normal mm. for other people. Yeah. Um, but no, it's that famous thing. No family is normal. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that kind of built the foundation for you to feel like you struggled to connect. Is that kind of, you feel like maybe that was like led the foundation for you to feel confused with what, was happening in in your life <laughs> i don't know if i was uh i don't know if i was confused but i definitely felt because i i had two modes there was either during an argument or, or a fight but my parents had which i found very very traumatic or it was dreading an argument that my parents were about to have that mm. was kind of those were my kind of two modes um and and i think my my kind of reaction to that was to try and behave it like I got really OCD and I thought that if I did certain things in certain ways my parents wouldn't fight so I started to try and control things in that sense mm. which I knew was weird like I knew it was weird to think if I touched things five times my parents wouldn't fight that evening yeah um and then and then I you know I I, I became uh I became a little bit overweight as a teenager and then I became obsessed with that being the thing that was wrong with me that that was why I felt uncomfortable um, and anxious and fearful all the time. So uh, then I became bulimic and I lost lots of weight and I got very slender, but then I got too slender. And then that kind of, that kind of behavior took over. And then to be honest, since, since that point, that was kind of that bulimia aspect was probably my precursor to using, well, it was my precursor to addictive behavior um, because there was, it was extremely addictive. It was, you know, um it was compulsive i was obsessed with it yeah um and that was kind of my introduction to numbing the way i felt wow mm. can i skip one of can i can i cut one of my questions because i want to find out about what your childhood was like now <laughs> oh yeah sure i mean just to like throw that out there in the back of my mind i really do want to know what your intention of this podcast is but we're also half an hour into this <laughs> So I think just for the sake of it being episode one, we'll we'll keep the momentum going of the other questions. But I do want answer that now, and then we'll uh, 
we'll we'll segue back mm. to the the momentum of what we're talking about. So why why what's your or as I worded it in my articulate ways, mm. what do you hope to gain from the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. To be honest, I, I did because I did a podcast with. Uh, another friend of mine from recovery, the one that I sent to you, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of the, why I thought it would be a good idea if we did one, because I'd, I enjoyed the process so much. And um, and it, it got passed around a lot of people I know. And uh, somebody approached me as a result of some of the stuff I said about addiction when he, he this pers- particular person I work with said he was struggling with alcoholism. So mm. he, he approached me about it. And it just kind of, I don't know, it just, it was a really enjoyable experience. It was a really fun conversation to have. And then it just seemed like a really useful, engaging format. Just basically to, I don't know, because we have lots of really nice conversations on the telephone. I, and not just, obviously not just about drugs or recovery, but like a lot about relationships, a lot about our spirituality, a lot about our kind of relationship with the kind of recovery program that we have. And then all lots of other random shit just seemed like a really fun way to formalize what our conversations because i think they are they're they're beneficial to us and i think they could be beneficial to other people yeah um what do i hope to gain from this i don't know i don't know if i hope to gain anything maybe yeah. no one will listen to it that's true but i'll enjoy doing it it'd be um it'd be great if whilst i'm studying a course that touches on a lot of marketing if i fail to market this to the public <laughs> That'll be telling of how well I'm learning the course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I completely, uh, I completely connect with that and agree. Um, very similar reasons, really. Uh, okay. Well, hopefully we we achieve at least mm. one or two of those things mm. in uh, you know either talking about being drug addicts or mm. being mega spiritual and woke. Yeah, um, I'm not woke. I'm not woke. <laughs> I thought I was woke, and then I, uh, I unwoked mm. and realised that anyone who says they're woke, it's probably not woke. Probably not woke. Yeah. Um, I also like the idea that we could talk to other people on this podcast as well because we chatted about interviewing people. That'd be we, great. I really like the idea of us interrogating someone about their tying them up, forcing them to be vulnerable. Yeah. And recorded whilst... What we can do is sit really close to them. Really close. (laughs) That's if we're allowed to be, you know, it's not, you know, Zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Face to face, but like touching their face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just just shout questions out. Are you content with your life? Yeah. Yeah. What's your conception of God? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, right. Back to the... Back to the... um, the That's topic the at hand. Yeah. Um, what? So, what my childhood was like? Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, I had a pretty. Uh, I I think I was brought up qu- quite uh, w- well um, in terms of. Uh, I mean, just listen to the way I speak. You know. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm posh as. Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't help it. Yeah. You know, I. Back in time, I was trying to be a geezer, but I'm not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's through recovery that I've become, become more well-spoken. Yeah, yeah. Ironic. 
Yeah, thanks. It's mostly just so for the benefit of people who are not in NA meetings. It's mostly Cockney wide boys in there. So yeah, yeah. So it's, it is a miracle that Dan is less of a geezer now. So what the twelve steps has done for me is got me to stop taking drugs, have a spiritual connection, and pronounce things properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. <laughs> um. So. It was quite interesting because I had a very interesting connection with my sister. I always looked up to my sister. She would be, I remember a very early age, she'd be like, you know, playing The Sims. And I'd be like, wow, what is that? Mm. You're controlling people that aren't you. And she'd be like, my sister's playing games. That's really cool. She'd be listening to like a variety of different music that's, you know, everything from... Pink Floyd and Robbie Williams to Linkin Park and Faithless and Limp Bizkit. And I'd be like... It's broad spectrum. Broad, broad spectrum. And she'd just whack headphones on my head in car journeys and we'd listen to like Nirvana and I'd be like, cool. Like, my sister's Love cool. That. Yeah. So a little Nirvana renaissance this week, actually. Did you? Carry on. Sorry. Nirvana were playing in a film I was watching the other day. And it was, What's going on? I saw some of the Nirvana t-shirt the other day. What's but they never listening. No. <laughs> I bet they never listened to Nirvana. They didn't. They they certainly were not old enough to be listening to Nirvana. I mean, neither was I really. That's I not was a judge. Seven or eight when Kurt Cobain died. So yeah. I, what I want to know is what's all this Nirvana stuff all about. That's what I want. What's to it all about? Maybe he never died. Maybe he never died. And they're making a comeback. Maybe. Um, anyway, sorry, I'm derailing your story about your child. I was about to go off on even more Nirvana-y <laughs> trivia, um, but. So yeah, I had that kind of bond, friendship, cool, let's hang out um, thing. Uh, my, I always thought my dad was funny and my mum was very caring. Um, but yeah, and, and it was very social, very social. Like regularly on the weekends, it'd be like me, mum and dad, family, friends. I'm hanging out with my childhood mate and all this stuff. And it was seemingly okay. I remember arguments would kick off a lot at home, but maybe I thought that was normal and arguments would happen, but they'd be really savage and they'd be like doors slamming as they do happen at home. And I would just like hide in my room Mm. and stay away um, because my sister got bullied at at school quite a lot. and And that was like kind of affecting the home environment and I didn't understand what was happening. So I kind of isolated in my room quite a lot. And from uh, the age of eight, my childhood mate um, moved to and moved and you know his mum and my godmum and uh, all this kind of family dynamic. They moved um, to another country, and so that kind of buddy that was like my best buddy saw every day or every weekend had gone. So I was a little bit like, okay, so so now I've got to make new friends, and I had uh, I, I went to a. a, a kind of rough-ish school. Not really that, I don't know, what you define as rough in London. Certainly not rough in, as rough as South Wales, mate, but carry on. Probably, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I, I kind of started to try and make new friends and then everybody I kind of made at school seemed to just move away. Mm. And bit by bit, I started to, be narrowed down to the majority of people there, which were kind of sporty kids, didn't really 
but as much like playing make-believe, which is what I like to do, be mm. silly and creative and whatever. So I had to try and of, I kind of started to believe and I started to get teased and bullied and all this stuff. And I started to believe from a young age um, that what I was into, what I liked doing wasn't normal and therefore I don't fit in and now I need to go and do what other people are doing. Mm. And I had this, and, and this is quite dominant for me in my head at the moment, is uh, I... Uh, I was kind of told not to try and defend myself from the bullies. Like never, you know, it's that kind of turn another cheek Jesus bullshit. No offense to the Christians listening. So I was raised to think it was wrong to fight. And so then when I did get in a fight because I'd be so upset that I'd lash out, I wouldn't know how to fight. So I would end up losing the fight. Mm. And mum, you know, would tell me fighting is wrong. Dad would kind of be working a lot, even though, my dad's an ex-boxer, so really, he should have taught me at least how to throw a punch, mm. but let's not dwell on the past. Um, my sister would be kind of on, on that kind of, let's keep the peace side. Mm. So, so really, I was raised, fighting is wrong, don't defend yourself, I don't fit in. So then by secondary school, I had this kind of ready-to-be-picked-on mentality that mm. I'm not going to stand up for myself. I'm gonna, whatever's, whatever, I, you know, I'm a loser, I'm fat, I'm this, I'm that. So really, we kicked into secondary school um, quite ready to be insecure with the world that I was walking into. Had some cool friends at first, and then there was, secondary school was quite uh, clicky as it is. The mm. kind of, very much like the in-betweeners, like mm. the cool kids, the uncool kids, the the nerdy kids and stuff like that. Mm. I thought I was a bit of an in-betweener. Um, kind of had a, one or two mates. Then they, one moved away. Again, everyone moving away. What's mm. that about? Um, yeah, and, and, and it kind of very quickly led to the compulsion to, uh, to stay away, stay in my room like me when, family are arguing i'll just be in my room and um and i found a comfort in video gaming which is very it's not as you know dark as it could be but i found an escapism in that and um there's a few like tiny little things that i would do as a kid i would consume food very quick i'd drink any liquid that i found enjoyable like orangina sugary drinks i would down that my dad would say slow down because you know one day that might mean something or something like that. I remember him saying to like pace it <laughs> and I had no idea that he was talking about in the long run, you might be necking beers yeah. and uh, become an alcoholic. It's, it's making a call as your neck and orange. Yeah. You're probably going to be a drunk. So you need to learn to pace yourself. Yeah. That <laughs> Cheers dad. So, um, I'm very conscious that I just, I, I don't know. I feel like my my you know family might listen to this, mm. so I don't know. I don't want to open up any awkward conversations as a result of me being a blabbermouth. Yeah, but uh, I found that I found that I wasn't relating to. This is how I summarize my childhood. Cool. I found comfort in being on my own in my room, mm-hmm. and that would either mean eating lots of food, 
playing lots of video games compulsively, getting one or two hours sleep, going off to school, then eventually faking sick days and mm. all the kind of normal stuff. I remember one once mum was saying, you're not ill, what's going on? I said, I don't like school. I don't like anyone there. They don't make me feel good about myself. Mm. They make me feel that big. And if you're listening at home, I'm just pinching my fingers kind of together to make a tiny little gap. It's really thumb. small. Yeah, you can't yeah. see it, but it's really small. Yeah. So, um, so, and I remember scream. I remember often coming home shouting and screaming and there wasn't a solution I remember once I, I thought I'll turn to God. So I pray, I got the Bible out and prayed and nothing changed. And I was like, that's a fucking lie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember doing that at university. I remember just being like, fuck it. I'm just going to pray. That's it. And then literally almost like opening one eye and being like, nope, nothing's different. Fuck you then. Yeah. There's no truth in this whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from Morgan Freeman in Bruce Almighty. Yeah, Morgan yeah, Freeman yeah. is God. Imagine praying to Morgan Freeman, man. That'd be sick. And he responds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear your. I can't do his voice. I was going to say, don't don't attempt it. Am I getting in trouble? Um, so when I started to hear that people at school were people that I liked or people I thought were cool were smoking weed, mm. it was only a matter of time before I thought that's the door mm. that I need to open to feel like I fit in with everyone. I had no intention of actually getting high mm. but i thought if i give it a go people might think i'm cool mm. uh the first few times and, and that it, it didn't even take that long at all i, I was terrible at first i didn't know how to how to get high mm. like I, I didn't know what the right quantity of of weed to tobacco was mm. but until i just did like a pure you know spliff bong or whatever that was when i was like oh haha I'm absolutely off my face. <laughs> and um, I didn't like it at first, but then bit by bit, you know, you start to establish a, a kind of connection with that. Mm. And more and more people started to talk to me. Uh, and if for whatever reason you're a teenager listening to this, please stop. But <laughs> doing drugs isn't cool. And it isn't, you know, it, it leads to a lot of pain uh, if you have, if you're using it for escapism. But yeah, it wasn't too long into that. It was like less than six months before I was using on my own and, and trying to learn how to roll so I could mm. walk around on my own, you know, using it as a tool to, on the way to meet someone I'd smoke or something mm. like that, um, or before going to school and stuff like that. Mm. So I was like 15. Mm. Um so yeah, that's kind of like going into the childhood. That was kind of the f- to be continued on that. Yeah. Um, that kind of feeling of wherever I turned, I felt rejected by the world really because dad was always working. Um, Mum, bless her, just didn't know what the right solution was to what was happening. Mm. My sister had her own issues going on or mm. was kind of didn't, you know, it was hard because she was young. She's only eight years older than me. So she's off doing her thing, going off to uni mm. or whatever. So yeah, I just kind of felt very rejected from the world. Mm. Um, but I was very good at hanging out with people one-to-one. Mm. That's I always like would be excited to hang out with a friend one-to-one because mm. that was kind of like, uh, it was comfortable. Because whenever in my head, whenever it gets to a bigger dynamic, 
it would be that's when I get bullied. That's when yeah, people yeah, yeah. would take the piss out of me. Yeah. Um, and it's strange that I kind of have that remnants of that today still. It's only through therapy, really, that I've established that that kind of uh, almost like innate yeah. kind of natural feeling, the big group of people, I'm going to yeah. become a turtle hiding in a shell in a bit. Yeah, yeah. But I'm working on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, hopefully that answers your question. It does, yeah. It does very well. Great. <laughs> <laughs> the end. It's interesting, though, you're saying that thing about the group being in a group. I... I think I totally identify with the feelings that you have, but my way of dealing with that, I'm very good in groups. Yeah. Um, and always have been. I've always been very good in large groups of people. Um, I've always been good at managing people within that group. Um, but it's the same, but it's, but for a completely different reason, because I totally identified with what you're saying of feeling like bad shit happens when I get into group situations like I will be picked on I will be bullied and I kind of worked out in my head how to manage a situation to avoid any kind of focus not focus is the wrong words because I would be attention seeking but to kind of manage the situation yeah and overwhelm people to the point where I wouldn't be a a target of any unpleasantness um Mm. but so that's interesting because I feel like we're both coming at it from the same place but both respond to it in different ways. And it's only in recovery, really, that I've noticed. don't really like being in large groups. No. I used to think that I... I used to think that I did and that I had to be in large groups of people all the time. Yeah. And actually, I don't. And I, and it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and I used to think... Because I used to... When I first got clean, I used to go to pubs and clubs all the time, um, which they obviously recommend that you don't do. But, you know, I did, I did it anyway, just because I wanted to prove that rebel. I could. Because you're a rebel, yeah. Because I wanted to prove that I could, yeah. And um, and I and I noticed how stressed and uncomfortable I used to feel in those environments yeah. periodically. Not all the time, but most of the time when I was in them. And I thought it was because there was alcohol around and you know that kind of thing. And um, and it only dawned on me maybe a year, two years in, when I just didn't. The I don't really think about using that much. Um, very occasionally it'll pop up for me, but I remember thinking, oh fuck it doesn't bother me at all that there's booze around here. It bothers me that there are people. It bothers me that there <laughs> yeah. are like, there are unpredictable people here. And yeah. like, and I think that's the element of, that I fear about being in those situations is people who drink are unpredictable. And I don't, I can't control or manage unpredictable people because they don't behave in ways in which I expect. So that was, that was an interesting realization to be like, oh, I don't like being in situations where people will not act in a way that I expect. Ah, that's a control thing again. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Mm. Now, um, I'm comfortable in a group if I absolutely know the group. Yeah, yeah. As if they're my, you know, my big, my big group of buddies mm. um, that I can. They know me so well that I can just sit there and say whatever I want or say mm. nothing, and there's no expectation really. Mm. Um, when I was using, I would thrive off big groups because I'd be so confident and so comfortable that I was, it depends if I was having a good buzz mm-hmm. uh, of whatever I was doing, then I would be center of attention, loud mouth, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and I had, but that was just a product of me trying to face this kind of 
fear of myself and finding fear of other people. So escaping that through whatever I was doing. Yeah. Um, you know, it felt like I was in control when I had that thing that would make me feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, but now I just, now, probably similar to you now, I, I'm not that bothered. If I don't want to, if there's a, a big outing yeah, yeah, yeah. and I don't want to go, I'm not yeah. sat at home with FOMO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if, yeah. If people at home don't know what that stands yeah. for, uh, which is weird, um, <laughs> it's fear of missing out. Did you have that in early recovery though? Uh, mm, it, it passed quite quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Well, in early, early recovery, before I actually got clean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I almost couldn't handle the idea of missing out on going out. Yeah. But every time I did, I'd just relapse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah. I'd be like, I'm being boring. Yeah. Um, and I understand it so much when I meet someone, they're like, oh, I find it so difficult to go out and not drink. I just feel yeah. like I'm boring and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I used to get it, like, because I, I, in maybe in the first, second year, I used to get, no, maybe just in the first year, I remember, like, getting FOMO of people going to festivals and stuff. Yeah. And thinking I'll never get to do that. When actually you can do festivals. You've done festivals in recovery, haven't you? I've done Shambhala festivals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is one of the messier festivals to do. Yeah, everyone's like naked and having sex with each other whilst yeah, yeah, on yeah. drugs and, and having their morning coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's actually a really family festival. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, there, there's a lot of... It's, it's, very, uh, it's very... I mean, obviously at night time, mm. the gremlins come out to play. Yeah, yeah, the daytime is a lot of really good like, workshops and and nice kind of yeah. chilled out music and uh, amazing food and there's the healing meadows where everyone's just yeah, yeah, yeah. doing yoga and I, mean, I I love that place yeah 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 um, I might be Sounds going there like you should be you should sound like you're promoting it I should work for them <laughs> you should work for it if anyone wants to pay commission for yeah. um, promoting Shambhala please contact us yeah <laughs> one thing that's missing is a recovery tent though. Yeah, is it? Yeah, that'd be good, actually. Maybe we should do that. Yeah, that'd be great. Just have a recovery tent there. Yeah, 24 hour. Because I still haven't done a festival in recovery. Shambhala's a good one. I keep booking them and they keep getting cancelled. Yeah, well, that's the. But sorry, anyway, I've I've gone off a tangent. Yeah, FOMO for it, like I had it for that sort of stuff in early recovery and now I don't get it anymore. No. Which is interesting. because it wasn't like I, w- I used to agonize over having FOMO or like I need to eradicate this feeling of um, missing out. And so I just had it. And then I don't know. It's like, it's interesting because I think I got, I got into a relationship just after being in a year in recovery. And then it was like my priority shifted and I started to enjoy much more spending time with uh, one person, like you were saying, one-on-one, mm-hmm. then going out all the time. And then as yeah. soon as that shifted, I was like, it was almost like I didn't feel a part of that anymore. So it didn't bother me. You know, when you move in different circles and stuff, you suddenly you're like, oh, that doesn't really affect me anymore. And especially with the last, yeah, I completely get that. With the last, with the last year and a half as well, mm. uh, I've even found that more so. Uh, meeting up with somebody one to one and going for a a walk or uh, getting a coffee or something, and just seeing how that person is doing. Yeah, um, you don't get that personal touch when you got a big group of people, really. Um, and also, you know, yeah, just 
parties are messy. Are we just are we just rationalizing and justifying our desire to isolate from the rest of humanity? <laughs> <laughs> just a couple of radical misanthropists noshing yeah. each other off about how how much they're good at isolating from the rest of the world. I'm, I've I've got yeah I've got something that justifies that on on, on the tangent that we're on mm. right. I read um, someone gave me a book and this this uh, this person when I was in uni using a lot with this person as well they gave me a book which was um cognitive behavioral therapy for uh dummies yes. for dummies yeah. yeah and it says if you're scared of going out and you feel too anxious do it anyway but now 4 years clean I say don't do it yeah 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 stay inside yeah live in the fear <laughs> go to bed but then but then we both we both done like the going out and exposing myself to the fear stuff i'm not i'm the thing is i'm not afraid to do it i just prefer not to i I, my preferences to have because like i feel like if i go out i want to connect with people yeah and i feel like if you have a group beyond five or six people it's very difficult to connect like that's that's just my experience of being out with people which is why these government regulations are fantastic, in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> they're not. They're not. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I don't. I like. I have. Uh, I do I have two groups of people at work, um, and we go for dinner once a month. It's like weirdly, we didn't. It wasn't like a planned thing that I would have two groups. I just. I used to go for dinner with one group of people. Yeah. Now I go for dinner with another group as well, and we we tend to do them once a month. And um, there's five in one of them and six in the other, and it's honestly like the best experiences I have in terms of socializing, going out or going for dinner with these people. And, um, yeah, but we, it's like, it's a big enough group that you can all have a conversation. Sorry, it's small enough group. That you can all have a conversation, but it's also big enough that you can peel off and have different conversations with different people. So I feel like that is a really good level of anything beyond that. So if you're in a pub or a club or you're out with shit loads of people, it just becomes, yeah, for me, I just, I don't know. I just tend to feel a bit detached. Yeah, and, and I think that's kind of something that's like, if if someone's like listening at home and they and they kind of have that that I can maybe they have a problem and they're like, mm. oh, I can never stop because I won't be able to go out and do this mm. and do that and do this. The 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 thing that I found most joyful is learning that I don't need to go out, and it's mm. exactly what you, it's, it's finding. You know, if you say to someone who's just been raving for the last five weekends in a row and they are absolutely loving it, they can't wait for the next one, but they know they've got a drug problem and they really want to stop deep down and they hear you and me saying, because I also love going for little small meals or whatever. Yeah. They're saying, you know, I love going for a meal with people and they're like, that's boring. I want to go to an illegal rave or something. Mm. But you've done lots of raves. I've done lots of raving. You've done festival raves. You've done, like the thing is, I think between us, both of us have done everything you could possibly conceive of doing sober. That yeah. People would probably think in their heads, or I definitely thought I could not do once mm. I got sober. I didn't think I would be able to go out and be around people drinking or using drugs. I have so much fun when I'm out. And yeah. they're absolutely off the they're a bit annoying. Yeah. Um... It's a different experience for sure. It's not like it's not the same experience. Yeah. It is different. But if you want to do those things, you can still do them. You can still do them. The fear was that I wouldn't enjoy music the same. But if you're going to a thing that you know you like the music of, a gig, stand-up as well, because, you know, everyone loves getting pissed and watching stand-up. Mm. Um, if you pick and choose the correct things that you know you will like, 
Yeah. You get into the spirit of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I love like a lot of house and techno music, which is mm. rave music, which is yeah. drug-taking music. Mm. And I've been out with people off their face, a bit annoying. Mm. But the problem, not the problem, the the best thing about it is, um, and, and, and it's not a problem for me at all, is... I get, it sounds cliche, you get a buzz or you get high off the music because you're dancing, maybe it's contact high, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, don't I think, think contact high is the right word. Yeah, you get, you, get, you get a rush from it. Yeah. And sleep deprivation. Yeah, yeah. But the next day, yeah. you don't have to, you're not still awake. Yeah. You're not all fighting over, get, you know, the last line or getting another bag or whatever. There's none of that. Yeah. You just go to bed, wake up tired, but you remember what you've done. Yeah, and you've probably got a bit more money in your pocket. You get a night, you get a takeaway. Yeah, yeah. and watch a film, yeah. and you don't feel like killing yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel a bit. I do feel a bit shattered though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's fine. Like, you give me a yeah. day. It used to take me like a week, mm. and in that time, I'd be using anyway. So yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Like that that thing. The thing that I noticed noticed the most about going out on a Friday. And, uh, like what used to be the case when I'd go out on a Friday was I would have a massive Coke binge mm-hmm. and I would spend the rest of the weekend just at death's door. Um, cause I'd, I'd have spunked all the money I had available to me on that particular binge. Um, and I would just feel terrible about my life. And, and my, so my whole weekend would be defined by that Friday night where I'd gone on this massive binge. And, um, the, the thing that was like, just so incredible to me when I, when I first started going out and being sober was by midday on Saturday, I'd forgotten that I'd been out the night before and I was just doing something else. Oh, wow. Like, like, like it hadn't happened. And then I would go into work on Monday and people would be talking about the Friday night and I'd be like, fuck, I forgot that we did that. I forgot (laughs) that place. I forgot. Whereas like, so the joy of that was being able to kind of do something, enjoy it, forget about it and do something else. Uh, Whereas my, my life when I was using seemed to be defined by, um, pre-using, using and post-using. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, it was just that it's cycle. cycle. Yeah. yeah. That was kind of my, that was kind of my life. It was, it was a build up to using drugs, actually using drugs, dealing with the fallout of using drugs on rotation. Um, yeah. And that was kind of, you know, and, and a lot of that, the, fantasy around that was that I was doing it because I wanted to be social. Um, when the reality was after I got sober, I was far more social because I could go to everything. I could go to anything I wanted to, um, you know, cause I would, I would be a hermit in the week yeah. if I didn't have any money. Um, and I was just in work, I would avoid any kind of social cause I couldn't afford to do it. So I would just be, whereas when I got clean, I could do everything. That became a problem for a while as well. I don't know if it was a problem for you. What's that? Doing everything. Doing everything. Doing everything. There's not enough time yeah, in the yeah, day yeah. to achieve everything. Yeah, and you become exhausted. I mean, I was tired. Like, I... This... Today... Actually, it doesn't sound like that much, does it? Mm. Today, for example, uh, woke up early, mm. um, went to yoga class. So fucking spiritual. I know. <laughs> uh, and then... Uh, but this is hanging out with my lady person that I'm struggling to say girlfriend with. Girlfriend. Girlfriend. Stop using euphemisms for your girlfriend. 
Yeah, my so... My partner, my life partner. It's not my life partner. <laughs> Dan, was, Dan spent some time with his life partner today. Oh, wow. His, his, spiritual, his spiritual companion. Spiritual companion. His, his relational companion. See how many... She's got. definitely not spiritual. Um, nice. I hope she's listened to this then. She, know, she knows uh, that. not fucking spiritual. Yeah, she <laughs> thinks it's all bullshit. <laughs> That's Maybe that's harsh. That's what you need, grounding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm going to be like, I'm going to do some prayer. She's yeah. like, don't bother. Yeah. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah, don't no. bother. It's all bullshit. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Good. you. That's what I need, grounding. Yeah. I need to be told to stop my daily rituals. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. None of that. Meditating. Twat. Yeah. <laughs> None of that happens. But yeah. So, straight, you know... I woke up, uh, this is kind of, what, when I say these things, I mean it as like, I used to be someone that, um, if I if I woke up next to someone, mm. I'd either kick him out or be like, let's go get drunk straight away. Yeah. So I'd never wake up at 6am to go and do something good for me. Mm. It would mm. be off and on this delirious kind of sleep until mm. like midday. Yeah. And then straight away it would be like, either get out or not like that. I make an excuse because I was so dishonest. I'd be like, oh, my my grandparents are coming around in a mm. minute. And then as soon as they leave, I would go the opposite way and go to the shop and get pissed. Mm. Or they'd come and get pissed with me. I don't know. Mm. And then I'd just wait until everyone else is going and picking up or whatever. Mm. And, and that would be... So going from that to waking up, having a nice little coffee, going and doing some yoga, saying goodbye and having a nice breakfast... Mm. Uh, genuinely wishing that they have a nice day because mm. I never used to care about anyone or myself. Mm. And then going and volunteering at a uh, farm. <laughs> Wholesome. So fucking Bristol you are. I am so Bristol. Yoga class and volunteering at a farm. I know. Oh my God. Why did I do that? Oh, because I want to go traveling and I feel like you need to have some sort of farming knowledge if you want to work anywhere. <laughs> but then someone said to me, if you, I think it was my therapist, said to me, if you own work somewhere, away they'll teach you how to do that stuff you don't need to do it in bristol yeah, yeah. and i was like yeah but i'm bored yeah 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 um i'm a farmhand now i'm a farmer now so don't, don't insult don't, my career don't, don't speak to me i'm a farmhand yeah no i did that and uh and, and um got sunburned and uh met some people that are all very friendly mm. and a lot older than me mm. and i had fun and mm. and now i'm and now I'm, i got back and was shattered yeah and was uh, and now I'm doing this with you. So like that that is such a contrast to the day I the days I used to have. Yeah. Where it was wake up, feel like rubbish. Yeah. Try and find some money. Yeah. Either steal some booze from downstairs or ring up a dealer or ring up someone who I could use with and then get on the train yeah. in London or if I was at uni I would just go to the shop and just wait and see what happens really. As yeah, long yeah, as yeah. I had something in my hand, whether that would be a spliff or a beer or I had a bag or something. Yeah. The contrast in that today to me feeling like I'm some Bristolian wholesome hippie, mm. which is not me every day. Yeah. Um, but I mean, what you, your day just that you've just described today is a full day of doing things that, are uh, hesitate use with nourishing but like it's been a full day of you doing things that are engaging and real and kind of 
I don't know what the right word is to describe them, but you've had a full day basically. Yeah. Whereas when I've done exercise, I've yeah. eaten three meals. Mm. Uh, I've I've eaten things that I deem to be somewhat good for me. Yeah. Which I never used to care about. My yeah. my ideal meal back in the day was either pasta and pesto mm. or a eighteen inch meat feast pizza. Of course, yeah, yeah. With endless garlic dip. Yeah. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I would love that. Yeah. But it would give me a heart attack now. <laughs> yeah. Or I'd throw up. But like your using day just sounds narrow. It sounds and I and I think that's that's part of the fear. I, well, one of the fears that I feel people have or I had when I was an addict was that I would somehow lose my freedom if I couldn't drink and use drugs. When the opposite is true for me. Like yeah. the only thing I lost was drinking using drugs that was the only thing i lost yeah and it's two things yeah so that's the this is the only things that went from my life everything else got better yeah in like and that well that's that sounds like a dramatic simplification because some things became more difficult definitely but like because i had to learn to deal with how to live without relying on a substance and that is difficult it, like it is you know we can dress it up as much as we want that is a difficult thing to kind of come to terms with but mm. when you get it it is, yeah, I don't know. That, I think that's, the, I guess, the, the point I'm getting at is that, like, I find that I and lots of people, I definitely had it, and lots of people I know who continue to drink and tell me they have a problem or continue to use drugs and tell me they have a problem, they have this fear that they will somehow be sacrificing the, their freedom, whereas my experience of using drugs, and it sounds like your experience as well, is that your life was extremely narrow and repetitive yeah and it's so it's so odd i have like my um i don't think he'll listen to this my brother is an alcoholic and i've, sp- I've spoken i think i've spoken to you about yeah. it before but to me it, his his life as it stands at the moment is a tragedy because he spends uh his it's very regimented in the sense of every evening um and this is this is come reports from my parents every evening he will drink, he will stay in his room and he will drink 15 cans of whatever the cheapest booze is that he can get his hands on. Mm-hmm. And he will do that every single night. And when I was a bulimic, I would have a pattern of buying food, eating it, vomiting, eating it, vomiting for six or seven hours every night. And from the time, from evening time till the time I went to sleep. And then when I was using drugs, similar pattern, it would always end with me on my own using drugs. Um... And when I think about that now, it just seems fucking like it seems so tragic and so such a small life mm. compared to what what I have now. Like there is nothing attractive about being in my room, yeah, binging and vomiting on food or using drugs or drinking on my own because it's so it's just so small. Whereas your life has the potential to be much much bigger. It's really bizarre the contrast, yeah. That kind of, I have such strong memories of me on so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of occasions of just me being sat in my room yeah, with something and it was this game of how long can I make this last but yet still have a fantastic time but who am I having a fantastic time yeah, for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah on yeah. my own, you know, and yeah. I'm like, in my head it's like, this is what I'm living for. Yeah. Is to, you know, it, it, that was it. It was, yeah. it was watching the bag. Yeah. Go down. Oh, how did it get so empty so yeah, quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. 
your life contracts into this tiny little experience, which is yeah. just the same and the same thing over and over again. Yeah, and it's yeah. I, I I only think it's when you come out of it and you look at it. Yeah, and particularly if you see it happening to somebody else, you go, "Oh my god, man! That life, like the life you're living, is um, an absolute shadow of the one you could be living. Mm. It's just like it's just it's horrible. It's tragic. It's like this kind of yeah, this really contracted small life." I'm doing the hand motions of contraction again yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> it means nothing that I'm doing a hand motion, but I, you know, I'm emphasizing the points, you know? A lot of emphasis. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of, I think we've kind of been talking for like an hour odd. Yeah. Um, I think we should probably. So what we could do is maybe, uh, I think what would be quite nice is to maybe try and aim for, well, let me, let me have a look where we are. Oh, like we're at 70 minutes so i reckon we could do like another 20 minutes mm-hmm. of just um trying to share uh some some good things that that we do with our day that kind of means that we're on the on a good path because mm-hmm. i feel like i haven't barely even touched the surface on a on a crap ton of questions that i put together i I've sworn a lot and I just censored myself from saying shit and I don't really know why. It's definitely, we're talking, you know, there's going to be swearing because we're... Crap ton. Crap ton. What's wrong with you? I think, it, I actually think it's quite good because I think that we can save some of these questions for another episode. Yeah. Because I think we, we've actually kind of, by not even meaning to, covered a lot of our kind of early life for addiction stuff and then perhaps early recovery as well. Yeah, I mean, there's so much stuff that I'd love to we go into about. about 12 Steps at all. No. Or NA, or meetings, or anything. I feel like this first episode has covered the groundwork for, I mean, with a lot of rambly, rambly chit-chat, which think, is fine. I think, I think we've done a really good job, you know? Hey, no, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think this is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> is that how I think that should be how podcasts work where you just say if you just say at the end this was a fucking great podcast yeah go it really was yeah really, even if it's terrible if you say it at the end right now people are crying with like <laughs> wow these guys <laughs> hit so many nerves yeah, in yeah, the yeah. same time but I think the last <laughs> the last 20 minutes so I think we've covered a lot of like we've established that we're we're clean Mm-hmm. and uh, we've we've used a bit. We've yeah. got different backgrounds, but share a lot of similarities. Mm. And uh, we do go out and live life, and all we've really sacrificed are two, three things, really. Yeah. And uh, And it sounds mental, because if you told me five years ago, six years ago, mm. all you need to do is stop, drinking and doing drugs mm. and there's so many more, you can do exactly the same things you're doing now yeah. apart from fighting people for their mm. drugs um, and much more as well um, and much more yeah if you told me that I'd be going and planting chard in a field in the sun with a bunch of you know life partner Somerset <laughs> no she wasn't there of course she wasn't no fuck doing anything spiritual yeah with uh, some some Bristolian hippies. Nice. No, they weren't hippies. Maybe I don't know. Then it'd be a spat in your face. Mm. Maybe that'd be a bit aggressive. Mm. When my housemate asked me today, "Why would you go and do something like that?" Yeah, and I was like, "I don't know." Because I, 
you know, why wouldn't you? But that's, that's, I think that's another interesting thing of recovery is that because we, we've been clean for about the same amount of time when we, four yeah. years or so. Yeah. And I remember when I first, like yoga classes, for example, right? I'm going to wager you did not do a yoga class before you got clean. No. No, me neither. I thought it was, I didn't even know, I didn't even know what it was. So I yeah. was just like, that sounds weird. Yeah. So I, I hadn't done one and I'd always wanted to um, because my mother did yoga and I was, I found it, I used to do a version of yoga because I used to run a lot um, during my compulsive exercising period. And I always wanted to do a class and I always wanted to do stuff like that, like do a class or book right. to do something or just randomly, spontaneously one day go to somewhere that I wanted to do. And I never did them, never, yeah. ever did them. And then again, in that first year, two years, I started to just do stuff like I, and, and they were big deals. I remember going to my first yoga class, being really nervous and thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to my first yoga. Like I've been thinking yeah. about doing this for years. Um, or like booking holidays cause I could never go on holiday when I was using, so I had no money. Yeah. So like all those things I was doing and now I, and my friends say to me all the time, they're like, you just, you do, you're so social. You do so much stuff. I think I would be exhausted. And I am exhausted most of the time, but <laughs> like, they're like, I can't believe the amount of stuff you do, but I think it just becomes part of your character to be like, okay, cool. I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to do this. Or I think I'll do this later. And you just do stuff. And I think yeah. that concept is perhaps, um, it was definitely foreign to me. And it's and it's it's still kind of foreign to people I know who don't really like li again they live this kind of contracted life where they don't kind of um, do stuff maybe outside of weekends or anything like that. Whereas like yeah. I, you know, I do stuff all the time and I don't even think about it now. Like I'll you know I'll do a class and even or do other stuff. Um, and you're having fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if that's part, like, that sounds like it's part of your character now as well. Well, it's interesting because I lost that a bit in the last year and a half. But beforehand, uh, I mean, I'm partly because I'm skint at the moment. Mm. But recently I've been, like, starting to do more things again. Um, mm. Probably because I've started, you know, dating someone naturally. You want to go and enjoy and experience things you're a relational with that companion you want a relational companion yeah 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 um, or business partner in, business partner your business partner I don't know we were saying that for a bit because we were this is my business partner because we didn't want to say because we do the business together alright steady on <laughs> um, steady <laughs> steady so maybe that's part of it but but yeah just um, for a long since the last two years I think three you know when I started to feel comfortable, yeah, yeah, man, uh, I remember going to just going to the cinema on my own yeah, because yeah, yeah, I'm walking yeah. around town and I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. fancy going and watching a film, yeah, 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 fuck it, yeah, and uh, and yeah, that was really liberating, which is such yeah, a bizarre yeah. feeling. And there was like no one there. I was yeah. like, this is amazing. Yeah. I'm watching a watching a film on the big screen <laughs> and there's no one here. It's a private thing for me. Um, going to gigs on my own doing all this stuff on my own and if i could do that on my own i was, this is something i told myself that it's like if i can do that on my own i can do that with other people mm. and if i can go to a gig on my own then i can i can go away on my own yeah and um i feel so good mm. i love i love yeah and just yeah keeping busy and 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 bit by bit getting more and more confident yeah because it's like i've you know lived that 
tunnelled life of being sat on my own. Yeah. And and the only reason I sat on my own, mainly doing drugs on my own, is because I was scared to be on my own. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and maybe that's the same reason for you. I don't know if you ever did, because I know it was a control thing. Yeah. But was it like um, a fear of of yourself? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm. I mean, I'd like I found the. That my my bulimia definitely paved the way for my drug addiction because I became in my bulimia I became terrified of myself mm. like I would just like because every evening was the same and I didn't want to do it it really was like I had the experience in recovery for me and Dan are obviously quite familiar with this stuff but like in recovery they talk a lot about using again using drugs against your will so you get to a stage where you're using drugs and you don't want to do it but you cannot stop. And every part of you doesn't want to do it, but you can't stop. And I had that experience with bulimia. I wanted to stop. There was no part of me that wanted to be binging and vomiting food in a compulsive way. Yeah. But I couldn't, and it was horrible, and I became terrified of myself. Um, and then when I kind of left that behavior, it left a void in the evenings, and I was so terrified of returning to that, that drugs seemed like the best option. Because fuck returning back to that lifestyle i'll use drugs instead because at least at least i'm getting some kind of you know pleasurable feeling out of this and also a, a certain degree of connection to myself and to people because i felt that's what i was wanting was kind of i wanted a connection um and i felt like using and being part of a group of people that used together was giving me a connection when it didn't yeah. really it didn't really the only thing we had in common was we were all using drugs together yeah but now if I hang out with anyone that I was using with, it would be like... Just nothing in common. Yeah. Just your, I mean, I've done it once or twice where I've caught up with someone who I used to use with and I'm like, you're weird. <laughs> maybe it's because I'm weird. Maybe I was judging them because... Well, maybe just, you're different. Different. You changed. Yeah, my ego's saying I'm better than this person. Yeah, maybe. But that's the... It's a, it's a bizarre condition of the ego. Mm. Um... Right, so I think will be a nice way to... There's a question I did want to ask you, but we, we can on. both kind of answer it as like a finale. Nice. And then we can pick a up... Climax, more, if you will. As a climax. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, steady on. All right, steady. Um, I've lost it. Give me a moment. Uh, That's right. Are there any daily practices you maintain to keep your well mental well-being in check? Yeah. Yeah. There are. Next question. <laughs> yeah, there are. Um, I meditate every morning uh, and most evenings, although I haven't been very good at that lately. So I do about an hour of meditation a day. Um, I pray on my walk into work. I pray mm-hmm. out loud. Um, to the people you pass on the street? Just people pass on the street. I, well, I have headphones in, so it looks like I'm on the phone. Ah, oh, nice. Um, and then they're like, he must be, well, what a weird guy. Who the fuck is he talking to? Because he's like, I'm just praying for courage today. And they're like, who's, who's he talking to? I'm like, God! <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop, stop listening in on my fucking conversation with God. It's so rude. Yeah. Um, we can probably talk about our conception of God in other episodes. Because yeah. uh, perhaps it's not what people would expect when they hear the word God. But I pray to something. So I do that on a daily basis. I also read... Uh, 12 step literature and some other form of spiritual literature on a daily basis and that that tends to alternate I always read 
there is a, a piece of 12-step literature called Just for Today that I read every morning after I meditate. Um, sometimes I take it in, sometimes I don't, but I read it every day. Uh, I tend to exercise most days as well. Um, and then I go to meetings. That, that, that's not, that was an everyday thing to begin with, but that's not an everyday thing that... Uh, I don't necessarily do it every day now, but I go to meetings regularly, which okay. which kind of keeps my mind... I find very, very beneficial. And I talk to my sponsor maybe once a week. Yeah. So sorry, I'm cheating now and saying weekly things. But but most days you try to... Yeah, the, the, the foundation of like um, meditation, daily yeah. uh, de- meditation and daily meditation reading yeah. of some kind or... or, or a, a... Yeah. It's interesting because I, I have a very difficult relationship with meditation in that I've been doing it for a very long time. I'd like, I started meditating when I was 18. Yeah. And I was reasonably consistent. Even when I was, u- like, through my using days, I was consistent with my meditation because I was convinced it was going to save me from my using. Um, when it didn't, all it did was make me hyper aware of the fact that I was an addict and I didn't know what to do about it. Um, but sometimes I fucking hate meditation. I hate it. But because I have to look at stuff or, like, it makes me aware of things that I'm doing in my life that are causing me harm or other people harm. And so, and so I don't want to do it a lot of the time, but I still do it every morning and I do it because it's, I've, it's now it's like it reached, a, well, this was years ago. It reached a stage where I tried to stop maybe after two or three years where I was doing it, where I was like, I can't be asked for this anymore. It's like, it's quite time consuming to do all this meditation. I'm not going to do it. And I stopped and my life just got much, much shitter than it already was. Right. And, um, and, and every time like I've had periods where I've tried to like sack it off and I always go back to it because my experience of life gets worse when I stop doing it. Um, and it's so, it's so obvious to me when it happens that it's kind of, it's weird. It's almost weird how clearly it happens. And, you know, maybe your life partner or somebody else who doesn't really deal in kind of things like meditation or prayer, I think it's all bullshit and um, placebo. Like I, I, if I go without it, my my enjoyment of life decreases. Yeah. So I do it anyway, even though I hate it sometimes. You're just there breathing and like, I hate this. Genuinely, I'll sit there and be like, I fucking cannot sit. Like, cause I'll set a timer on my phone. Yeah. So to make sure I do the same time every day. And to be honest, actually, they're probably the most beneficial meditation sessions I have are when I'm sitting there thinking I fucking hate this <laughs> and I want to get up. And then, and then a few minutes later, that, that thought will go. And I go, oh God, remember a few minutes ago when I was fucking raging about wanting to get up. Yeah. And there's something powerful in not indulging that instinct yeah. to get up. Yeah. There's something really powerful in that. Um, it's like, you know, when you're doing weights and like they say that like the things that when you're like a, a professional weightlifter, they th- say the things that make the biggest difference are like the extra three reps that you do at the end or wherever it is. So that's like the thing that, and the strength like or improves. Yeah, anymore. go a little bit longer. Um, okay. Yeah. Good. My turn. Your turn. Uh, very similar. Uh, depending on if I'm on my own, I wake up and I'm near enough. Go get coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, the thing I'm really trying to do, and it benefits me so much, is do not look at my phone straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Open my curtains. Look outside. Get the first. Uh, light, whether it's in the kitchen or whether it's out my window, to be the real world, not my phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and let myself wake up naturally and drink a bunch of water. Mm. So that's kind of 
healthy healthy stuff mm. rather than um, spiritual practices. And then uh, I will meditate for 10 minutes mm. um, using an app that, I, uh, that my housemate recommended called the Waking Up app, um, which is an interesting one because the guy who started the, the app is trying to do like a more scientific look at the benefits of meditation. Mm. So he's not just like stroke your chakra whilst <laughs> breathing in. It's like... No one should stroke their chakras. Yeah, well, careful when you, you know, if you are stroking chakras, just stay. Don't, yeah, just be, be careful. I meditate with that app um, and I enjoy that, but I've been meditating for multiple years um, uh, since since the early days of recovery mm. and using various different methods of doing that. So whether it's just an alarm, whether it's a piece of music that I like that does is relatively uninterruptive yeah. um, or whether it's an app because uh, there's so many apps out there. Um, and then I do a little prayer, try to do a little prayer. Um, again, it's not really to uh, a God of anyone's understanding but my own. All I'm saying is the word God. I don't know what that is. I don't think it is their creator of the heavens and hell or this earth. I think it's just something that I can refer to that is not me, mm. that I can talk to out loud because I'm not going to go and say what I'm about to say to anyone that's asleep in the house. Mm. I'm not going to walk into their room and be like, hey, mm. give me the courage not to be self-centered today. And they'll be like, what the fuck are you doing? Get out of my room. Get out of my room. <laughs> Why are you saying this to me? And I'm like, I just don't want to upset anyone today, please. <laughs> and they're like, well, you're upsetting me. And then a the fight <laughs> kicks off. That's not, you know. It's not what you're after. No. And I don't, I used to, I heard this, I know a lot of people have mixed opinions on Russell Brand, but I heard this on the way he prays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I used to do the kind of ritualistic, uh, the serenity prayer, and then yeah. the, uh, maybe the, the the third step prayer, which mm. if you don't know what the steps are, be, uh, you know, I'd say, uh, take my will and my life and guide me in my recovery. And that would mean, take my decision-making and out of the equation, because I don't want to be in control of my decisions, because my decisions can be quite carnage sometimes, mm. and allow me to see what the world can do without me trying to dictate it. So when I step back, and this happens a lot, because I, I I've got this ego that thinks I know best, I try and control everything around me. So that prayer, that prayer alone really helps to try and, and I say it so much, I forgot its meaning. That's mm. the thing. So I've stopped doing that now. Mm. And I just ask for some sort of thing that I want to achieve that day, whether it's, I don't really want to be manipulative. I don't really want to be selfish or angry with anyone, that kind of thing. And I try and like get some sort of um, grounding. Uh, and then I read the same book just for today, read a daily meditation. Um, and then I read from, and I've forgotten what it's called, but it's like a day, it's like a, 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 ref, a reflections book from Eckhart Tolle. And it's not, it's just a random book, like a random page will open and it'll have some random like stillness within or something like that. Stillness speaks. Stillness speaks. Yeah. One. Yeah. I've got that one. And, uh, God, so spiritual. yeah. Shout out to Eckhart Tolle. Shout if you're listening, who probably stopped right, you know, yeah. Early on. Yeah. yeah. Um, that kind of helps. And then I've recently recently thrown in the the modernized Dowdy Ching. 
Nice. Hippie hours. Don't know what a sage is. Nice. In fact, I learned what a sage is after reading a book called Siddhartha, which... Uh, By Herman Hess. Yeah, which my sponsor recommended when I was working Step 11. Fucking hippie. I know. And I didn't know what sage was until I read that book. There you go. Yeah. So now when I read that book and it says, you know, the sage, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, ha, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, and that kind of sets me up for the day but it's if i don't do that it's okay mm. as long as i get one thing in one yeah. whatever that's meditation for five minutes mm. um and something that i just which is a bit weird and people don't really know what i'm talking about but i i if i've got something going on in my life then i throw into that morning ritual some uh, eft tapping as well you love a bit of tapping love a bit of tapping love a bit of tapping yeah and uh, what if you don't know what that is? Um, it's called emotional freedom technique, and it's some sort of holistic. I don't know. It combines legit therapies with holistic, uh, legit. theoretical Chinese uh, Chinese uh, kind of meridian, uh, like shiatsu and acupuncture style pressure points around the body. Mm. Kind of merges that into. A technique to try and handle uh, maybe an anxious situation or an emotion, mm. hence the name emotional freedom mm. technique. It, you tap in a rhythm or a circle and you try and name what's happening, exactly how it's happening, mm. and clear it. And uh, it works sometimes. It's mm. weird. I've been doing that for a year. Mm. Um, I love a tap. I love a bit of tapping. Mm. Um, and that's me in the morning time, really. Mm. And then I get smited by God, yeah, yeah, because um, I didn't pray correctly, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and then he kisses ass in exactly the right way, so I didn't get my yeah. Day. And then, um, and then, and then I can't leave the room because I'll be trapped in <laughs> in purgatory. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, and then I might do some exercise or something like that, depending on how well the coffee's hit me. Mm. Um, so. Where are we at? That is an hour and a half. I think that's that's a good that's a good length to Yeah. What do you want to say to sign us off? Uh, sign us off. Mm. But make it sound because I really need the bathroom. Okay. Uh yeah, so if you if you're listening and, and you've uh you've got anything from this, then um there's a there's a whole world of help out there that be beneficial to someone that might be struggling with addiction uh we definitely didn't wake up day one and we're like i'm fixed it was a very slow process we're not fixed now definitely not fixed now i mean if i was a lot weller i would have rambled a lot less and just sounded (laughs) so bloody good but um when you put this online can you put links to stuff that people can go to yeah i will put uh na and aa yeah. Uh, I will also put... Put all the A's on there, mate. Put all the A's. Just fuck it. Put all the A's on there. Put all the A's on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sex, overeating. Yeah. Codependency. Yeah. All of those. All of them. And um, yeah, and there's a whole world of charities out there that also are beneficial too. Uh, there's Mind. There is uh, Samaritans. Mm-hmm. If you're... Uh, um, I, I'm still learning a lot of them at the moment, mm-hmm. but there's also um, one I found out recently... 
dudes with dogs or dudes and dogs. Nice, yeah, yeah, we, heard of them, yeah. Yeah, and um, another one, I can't remember. But yes, uh, so um, there's quite a lot of stuff out there that's beneficial. Um, if you haven't got anything from this, then hold on tight because we're going to get better. <laughs> and uh, we, we're hopefully going to refine our structure and try and turn this into something that we can really kind of get some goodness out of mm. for for ourselves and for, the, for people, get guests mm. and um, hopefully, you know, save everyone. Yeah, that's the goal. Save mankind. Save everyone. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for listening and this is, uh, it's been fun. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.